0: Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York Never compromise, drink responsibly They're gonna kill the love of my life yes, If I don't go back to what I was doing This Friday Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless How far would you go for love? You steal a truck, bring it to me Then you make your money Is it dangerous?
1: Of course it's dangerous!
0: Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins.
1: All this trouble, all this pain, for love.
0: Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13.
2: the Tuesday Roto-Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. It is Tuesday, November 29th, 2016. I'm Jake Letarski. You can follow me at Ski 52 I'm going to be joined today by Derek Van Riper, who's filling in for Eric Couture. You can follow Derek at Derek Van Riper. If you happen to be listening on iTunes or Stitcher, please give us a second to uh, leave us a nice rating and review. DVR, thanks for joining me today. To start things off, i got to ask, we're going to talk some Monday Night Football here. Are the Packers actually back, or did they just beat a rookie quarterback without his best wideout?
1: I think it's just the latter. I mean, I think they they took care of business in a matchup that was a pretty favorable matchup overall. Philly's defense is pretty good. The offense mm-hmm. is below average. Yeah. Uh, a couple of players back in the fold for the Packers defensively. I think Demarius Randall's return certainly helped the secondary. But yeah, Carson Wentz is also their experience. leading
2: tackler, Demarius Randle. Seven tackles. So yeah. making an impact on all, all across the defense.
1: Yeah, and I, I just think with Carson Wentz, I mean, we, we saw him play really well to start the year. But two of those games were against the Bears and the Browns. They have a combined 2 wins. So you start to look back at what those teams are now As opposed to what we thought they might have been At the beginning of the year We didn't think they were good teams then But they're worse than we probably thought You know, it's a learning curve And I think with Wentz, the Eagles do have A long-term solution at quarterback But there's always going to be this period Of growing pains with a young quarterback I think we saw that last night I mean, this is the first time the Eagles have lost at home this season And for the Packers, it was a game where It was a must-win to keep the playoff hopes alive I think they were at 6% uh, probability for the playoffs prior to last night. That number is up at, I think, 17% now, according to the 538 model, if I remember correctly. So mm-hmm. uh, a big step. And uh, it's, we saw some things that were a little bit different. I was pretty critical of Mike McCarthy again during the mm-hmm. XM show on Monday, in that I, I, I was thinking about the Chiefs and, and Tyreek Hill and how Andy Reid is a veteran coach who does different things. McCarthy. Shipped things up a little
2: bit, Mm -hmm. but So many different personnel groupings is the big thing. The telecast noted it, and and they were right. I got that as well. Just uh, different fullbacks, different three-back sets, uh, getting creative with ways to run the ball, which they really haven't found a running game over the last couple weeks.
1: Yeah, and Starks didn't do much uh, as far as his efficiency Mm -hmm. yesterday. I mean, 17 carries, only 41 yards, five catches for 27 yards. It wasn't even efficient Mm -hmm. out of the backfield in space. It makes you wonder why Kristen Michael... Wasn't more involved, but I I do think the personnel groupings uh, were something that helped offset some of the injuries on the offensive Mm -hmm. line. It was a shorter passing game, a lot of quick releases, uh, really did a lot to, I think, take away the advantage Philadelphia often
2: has with that pass rush. Yeah, I think we'll start seeing some more Christine Michael in the coming weeks, but probably not quite enough yet to be fantasy relevant. I think James Starks has a pretty good handle on that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if, if you used a uh, quick wrap-up of the Eagles, if you used Carson Wentz in a GPP, he came away disappointed. 24 for 36, 254 yards, uh, no passing touchdowns and an interception. He did tally a rushing touchdown there. Uh, I mean, if you used either backs in any kind of daily, Wendell Smallwood, Darren Spurs, is both pretty disappointing. Uh Smallwood 9 for 4 or 37 for 4.1 yards a carry. Jordan Matthews as we mentioned banged up. We'll watch his practice status this week. Also banged up, Aaron Rodgers. It looks like he tweaked his hamstring. Had to go under the tent to get uh some contraption or tape or whatever shoved down there, but he pretty much said after the game, that uh, you know, I'm gonna play through it, I'll be good to go next week. So, and not really any concern there, or are you a little bit? No, nah, not too worried. I mean, we have seen him deal with lower extremity injuries before,
1: and it does reduce some of the mobility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if it was more of a Charlie horse, given that they padded him up to avoid further contact of that issue. You mm-hmm. can see that pad kind of under the pants, yeah. uh, which is why he went in the tent, because players don't take their pants off on the sidelines with a million cameras around. Makes perfect sense. Exactly. Uh, the speculation as to, what else could be done in the tent has gone pretty much viral in the last 12 hours. I mean, uh dropping a deuce is something that I, I heard mentioned on there I mean I guess you could you could do that in there if you yeah,
2: had I mean, to but uh, it, it it depends on the locker room it's a decent ways of the locker room and back if you got if you you really got to do that yeah. in the middle of a game here I mean and if your defense gets a turnover or something then you're kind of toast it, it's like camping but with 80,000 people surrounding
1: you mm-hmm. so that's it's really awkward if that's going on in there I I thought maybe uh, painkiller injections are a possibility in that tent I mean, it, something it, that they want to keep hidden from the general yeah, public yeah. Yeah, it's not not good for business if you see Aaron Rodgers sitting on a a box on the sidelines getting a Toradol shot in his leg in the middle of the game. So, I mean, there's a a lot of things that could happen in there, but it's just the common sense basic sorts of things that you'd expect to happen uh, in a sideline tent. And I think you're going to see more teams use that. We've seen them Mm -hmm. in the college level. The Badgers have one on their sideline at home. It's actually a lot bigger than Mm -hmm. the one the Packers were using uh, last night. And I think we've seen it before, where players will hold the towel. Like several players will hold towels when an injured player is on the sideline, just to kind of give that player some privacy. It's going to be prevalent. Bill
2: Belichick's going to probably build an entire tent on his sideline to. He's going to have a town on his on his sideline that's going to you know block all communication and signals and everything.
1: Yeah, they've already got that working. They've already like jammed up all the headset signals at Foxborough. It's like (laughs) more headset failures at Foxborough than any other stadium, based on what opposing coaches reveal in their post game pressers at least maybe it's just sour grapes but uh, it seems to happen there at an alarming rate oh yeah no but all things it. considered the tent to tent, and it's used for the most basic of things
2: absolutely lastly uh on this game Devonte adams man he led the charge again five of his six targets for 113 and two scores i mean he he's finally he's playing this year like people thought he was going to when they, when they all took him in the second round third round last year here i mean where do you put him For 2017 wide receivers, does he crack the top 15, for example? Yeah, he's probably flirting with the 15 to 20 range. I mean, I think the Mm -hmm. the big question is how much do you look at
1: Randall Cobb's uh, lack of output over these last four games or so Mm -hmm. and attribute that to health, and I think it's a big part of it. Uh, It's really an offense that has three viable pass catchers most weeks, Nelson, Mm -hmm. Adams, and Cobb. Right now Adams is the number two, and because he gets so many looks in the red zone, that was something that was happening earlier in the season. He's more ideally suited for those targets in close spaces than Cobb based on Mm -hmm. his size. I think it's one of those things where Adams is on the rise. I think it's legit. I mean, the second touchdown yesterday, extremely difficult catch Mm -hmm. and a throw that maybe three or four quarterbacks in the league even try to make. Maybe of those three or four, one or two can actually execute it. So the big question with Devontae Adams for me is how much does Aaron Rodgers – Lift his overall value compared to, say, Allen Robinson. I was ripping Ted Thompson throughout the summer thinking about how good Allen Robinson was last year and how much Devontae Adams struggled because the Packers took Devontae Adams over Allen Robinson uh, in the 2014 draft, it would have been. Mm -hmm. You look at that now, based on the way this season's played out, it doesn't look nearly as egregious as it did coming out of last season when Adams was brutally inefficient and
2: Allen Robinson was one of the best big play receivers we'd ever really seen. In one season. Yeah, and we saw the big play capability out of Devonta Adams. That had to, you know, to set up. There's the two touchdowns, but he had another 50 yard catch over his shoulder that he was able to haul in. Uh, yeah, looking like a, a fantasy stud that'll help you guys in the playoffs here. Well, we're going to move on to our waiver wire uh, fab preview here. Remember, when we make fab recommendations, it's going to generally be based on a 12 team standard format with a $100 budget. I took percent owned figures kind of uh, late in the second half of Monday Night Football last night, so those are all subject to change, especially with leagues uh, that. Process a first come, first serve waiver wire as those uh, numbers start to adjust. Real quick, week 13 buys the Cleveland Browns and the Tennessee Titans. So, you Mariota owners, your DeMarco Murray owners, your Terrell Pryor owners, uh, those guys are going to have to uh, get replacements this week. And hey, it, it becomes really important getting into the playoffs here. Last week, Eric and I profiled Carson Wentz based on how uh, the Packers' defense has been playing. You know, that hasn't necessarily worked out, but we're going to try it again this week with a couple more streaming options here. And the two guys that I really look at in terms of streaming options are Matt Barkley and Colin Kaepernick and they happen to play each other now Barkley's pretty much universally available Colin Kaepernick's 24% owned in Yahoo 23% in ESPN leagues if you're picking a stream option this week you have to imagine Kaepernick has a, a bit of a higher floor because of the rushing option but both these guys could be in play if you're missing Mariota for example yeah I
1: mean I think Kaepernick would be quite a bit more desirable than Barkley. Barkley needed a lot of attempts to get over 300 yards. He's still going to yeah. make mistakes. No Elshon Jeffrey. No Zach Miller. It's still a watered-down Bears receiving core that he's throwing to. Kaepernick, I mean, if he's, he's like 25% owned, I think, right now in yep. Yahoo leagues. Mm-hmm. I, I just, 24% as of Monday Night Football last night. How how much of that It's a few factors, right? Like Some of it is people giving up on their leagues So the mm-hmm. teams that have good quarterbacks That don't need them They're going to go to the playoffs They're not picking them up as a backup Okay, that kind of mm-hmm. makes sense You don't need them, fine For the teams that are falling out of contention And not picking them up mm-hmm. Is it the inability to separate politics From fantasy football? I mean, yeah Some of the stuff the guy says Is completely off the rails And it's just mm-hmm. stupid for, for There's no other way to describe it but he's a mobile quarterback on a bad team who throws the ball a lot. If you're looking for fantasy points, which I think everyone listening to this podcast is, Colin Kaepernick. Has been yeah. delivering
2: those in large quantities. I mean, yeah. three passing TDs, over
1: hundred rushing yards
2: mm-hmm. last yeah, week. Leading the team in rushing. I mean, it's safe to say he needs to be universally owned in all two quarterback leagues. There's no question there. And then he starts to become in play. Like I'm, I start Mariota in three weeks, and I'm starting to look for a replacement. And you know, it might be Kaepernick in some places this week. I guess I can't. I can't even really justify why he
1: wouldn't be owned in a ten-team league right now. I mean, as okay, so six or seven quarterbacks in the league at most don't need a backup. So that leaves three to four teams in a 10-team league that do have a backup. If those teams all have backups, 14 quarterbacks are owned. He's a top-14 yeah. quarterback, and yeah, there's, right there's not up. really any question about that.
2: And, and also think of it this way. Look at your opponent for the upcoming week when you're trying to get into the playoffs. If your opponent has Mariota or a fringe quarterback, why not throw a bid out on Kaepernick? I'm a huge proponent of this strategy to just block other owners from trying to pick him up and potentially get points from that in, in what's a juicy matchup. So I'm all over that, just making your roster as good as possible, even if you don't intend to use Kaepernick this week. Yeah, you just take those players, put them on your bench when you have the space,
1: and mm-hmm. keep somebody from adding him to beat you. Last three weeks now, he's got 200 rushing yards, uh, 28.5 fantasy points during that span. Uh, Only Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Kirk Cousins have averaged more fantasy points per game The Kaepernick over the last three weeks.
2: Yeah, that is elite company there. So definitely don't overlook Colin Kaepernick any longer. Quick two quarterback league update. Uh, Andrew Luck's going to be back in practice. He should clear concussion protocol by Sunday. So no need to worry about Scotty Tolzien anymore. And of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick, it looks like he's going to continue starting for the Jets. Uh, They're not ready to quite go to Petty or Hattonburg quite yet. So uh, I guess Fitzpatrick another week. I mean, he only turned the ball over once last week. So I guess that's improvement here. Let's move on to running backs DVR. Last week, Eric and I talked about Christine Michael a little bit. He's not quite ready for a prominent role. We also talked about Hightower a little bit because of the Ingram concussion situation. But Ingram came back in a big way, so there's not really a a whole lot to uh, you know see there. I think Hightower's role is going to be greatly decreased. The other guy that comes up mostly due to injury is uh, it's Denard Robinson, I guess, of the Jaguars. He's universally available. Chris Ivory left Sunday's game with a hamstring injury, and I mean, you know, T.J. Yeldon's not that good. Is is Denard Robinson in any way worth a look given his tough matchup against the Broncos? I think as maybe your fourth or fifth running back, he's fine.
1: It's not a guy you're going to pick up and play, even if uh, Chris Ivory's ruled out for that game. I mean, T.J. Yeldon could still factor in. I know he had an ankle injury, which is probably why. Robinson picked up 13 carries on Sunday. Against Denver, you expect the Jags to be just playing from behind. Maybe he catches some passes out of the backfield, and that's where some of the appeal comes from. But I think he's a desperation play for week 13 even if Ivory's unavailable.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you, you picked Denard Robinson up and I know the Broncos' run defense, you know, their their defense on a whole is is spectacular. Nobody's questioning that, but you know, you look at rush defense alone, they kind of rank right in the middle of the pack in terms of fantasy points allowed to opposing backs, uh, especially in the PPR formats. I think that's almost 20. So, I mean, something to think about, not quite as uh as stout as the general impression is, but that being said, I just don't have a lot of faith in Robinson either. He's just the name that needs to be mentioned. I mean, there really isn't much for running backs this week. Is this a point in the season, though, where you look at handcuffs? Like, do you you handcuff your top back, or are you more along the lines of... I mean, would you be more likely to pick up someone like Denard Robinson, who's going to get maybe five to ten carries? Or do you start trying to handcuff with guys like Alfred Morris, Fitzgerald Toussaint, who's Le'Veon Bell's backup, Andre Ellington, who is David Johnson's backup? Johnson has a finger injury, but we don't think that's going to happen. So, I mean, are you just... Preparing for the worst-case scenario or not or not, not so much?
1: Yeah, I think I'd rather have players that are going to be more valuable if the player in front of them gets hurt as opposed to the Denard Robinson types. And of course, your needs, if you're scrambling for an RB2, Robinson makes more sense. But we're at the point in the year, for the fantasy playoffs especially, you want to have those high upside backups at the ready, in the event that something happens, Alfred Morris, if something happens to Ezekiel Elliott, uh, D'Angelo Williams kind of would have fit that description before. He's been banged up, so maybe it's not him. Maybe it is Toussaint, too, or if it's Toussaint instead. Uh, I mean, those players can be difference makers. And I, I have to wonder with Kristen Michael, is he ever going to be trusted in the Packer offense, or is he simply a depth add because they really didn't like the idea of Ty Montgomery being? their lead ball carrier, if James Starks went down with an injury again. I, I thought Michael would be more involved last night. Mm-hmm. He had one carry last
2: night. So, yeah. yeah, short term, it doesn't look like there's much of a role. Yeah, his first game active as a Packer. So, I mean, I, I, I'm going to give it at least one more game of him being active to see if maybe he can get five or six carries. And then if he starts becoming effective, then who knows what will happen because he was a very fantasy-relevant rele- running back with the Seahawks earlier in the year. And, I mean, the... Yeah. The Packers' offensive line is a huge upgrade over the Seahawks. I think. I think the Seahawks spend the least on offensive line out of all all of the, the entire league, as opposed to the Packers that have, you know, they've got their own injury concerns, but at least some experience factor there. A couple of honorable mentions here. I mean, Derrick Henry's only owned forty six percent of Yahoo, forty six percent of ESPN leagues, but he was more productive than Demarco Murray on the ground this week. Eight carries for 60 yards and a score as opposed to Murray who carried the ball 17 times for 43 yards and no scores. Murray did most of his damage in the passing game. We kind of talked about this on uh, XM yesterday but I mean Derrick Henry really only holds value in the situation of a DeMarco Murray injury. I mean there's not really a whole lot to like about picking up and starting him in any given week. Yeah I think the other wrinkle of course Titans are on by
1: in week 13 yep. so there's not even the short-term benefit of murray being limited possibly pushing the carry total up i mean if Mm -hmm. murray's injury lingers through the bye week then sure henry becomes really interesting i think henry does fit the description of the the high upside backup though even though he gets some carries he's not like alfred morris where he's pretty much buried right now Mm -hmm. it's a good enough situation where if murray were to get hurt coming out of the bye sometime in week 14 you know weeks 15 week 16 you might look at derrick henry as a player that can be a difference maker maybe a top 12
2: top 15 running back if Murray gets hurt. Yeah, definitely someone to own heading into the fantasy playoffs, just in case, because you never know uh, what can happen there. He's probably, yeah, more viable than some of those handcuffs we discussed. We keep talking about Kenneth Dixon, DVR. I mean, he's creeping up on West. It was an essentially an even carry distribution this past week. I mean, it's just a matter of time for him, right? Yeah, that's what it seems like. I mean, a split, the efficiency was pretty much the same. Pass catching opportunities were the
1: same. 50-50 right now. Could see it swinging more like 60-40, 65-35 favoring Dixon so if he's still out there he's probably one of the better add and use right away type backs that you're gonna find but it's probably gonna be mostly like 10 team leagues where he's available
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and one other back to mention I mean Lamar Miller is a top 10 back and coach Bill O'Brien's dismissing any concerns of an ankle injury but I guess Akeem Hunt is uh, like he's more of a watch list guy just in case Miller's really limited in practice or anything along those lines as far as drop candidates go I mean it's tough at this point in the season but if you were hoping Alex Collins would have any role in Seattle he can probably go it doesn't look like he's going to have much of a role there Uh, let's head to wide receivers though DVR where it's a much more deep list than we've had in previous weeks it seems like There's a lot of breakout candidates. Last week, Eric and I profiled Tyler Boyd and Marquise Lee. Those guys are still in play a little bit. I mean, Boyd was more productive than LaFell despite the same amount of targets, and I think we'll continue to see that here. But there's a lot of emerging wide receivers. Uh, One of those guys who I was a little bit surprised with availability on Monday night, Sammy Watkins, owned in seventy-two percent Yahoo, fifty-nine percent ESPN. He was activated off IR last week. He went for forty-one dollars in Fab money in one of my leagues last week. But if he's still available, He's worth a look. He was used sparingly Sunday, but he t- caught all three of his targets for 80 yards. Finally, time to let him loose? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see him play more snaps against Oakland, but I don't know
1: if we're going to see a full complement, maybe 35 to 40, so mm-hmm. an increase of 10 to 15. Five, six catches. I mean, that, From Samuel Watkins, that could be really productive. He's got a lot of big playability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be the ceiling, but it's good enough to be a wide receiver. Three in many leagues, so... Uh, that percentage of leagues you mentioned where he's still available, I think that goes down considerably. Mm-hmm. Probably gonna be ninety, ninety five percent owned after waivers run for this week and for good reason.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean just based on the upside and with the playoffs around the corner, I could see this being someone you empty your entire fab budget on if uh, if you have the opportunity to even do so. And yeah, maybe it's not this week, but the next couple weeks. I mean the Bills are are in that playoff hunt. They're right right around there with Miami trying to catch one of those AFC wild card spots. They're not in a position where they can lose a whole lot of games. So I think, you know, they might. I'm not saying they'll throw Watkins' health to the wayside, but there's a chance that they use him a little more if the games are close and and within reach here. But one other wide receiver that is worth mentioning, Tyree Kill of the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Eric and I discussed him two weeks ago, but it's worth bringing him back up. He made history Sunday night against the Broncos, had a rushing, receiving, and kick return touchdown. Only owned in 37% Yahoo, 27% ESPN. Does Tyree Kill your top overall waiver pickup this week? You know, I think he he probably
1: is. It's really close because I want to get more information on Tyrell Williams and, and how that will impact Dontrell Inman, I think, could significantly change how I look at Inman versus Hill. But with Tyreek Hill, he's a player that's going to be involved, I think, even after... Jeremy Macklin returns. Mm-hmm. If Jeremy he's earned Macklin that returns, right. Yeah, but, yeah, there's no doubt that he's earned that right. And he just does some things that are, are different than the other receivers they have available, the Chris Conleys, the Albert Wilsons, those types of players. Mm-hmm. The only real problem you have is that the volume in the Kansas City offense many weeks is limited, but they hand the ball off to him. He can chip in with the return TD. The occasion. You can't bank on it, but it's a, it's a bonus that comes in from time to time. And the matchup this week, I believe, is against Atlanta, so it's actually a pretty high-scoring game this week. I, I have to wonder... Even if Macklin comes back in Week 13, is it kind of like the Sammy Watkins situation where he plays half the snaps he'd normally play? And if if that happens, I think Tyreek Hill could still lead this team in targets. uh, Any particular game, I know Travis Kelsey did that against uh, the Broncos, but Tyreek Hill's so explosive. He doesn't need 12 targets a game Mm -hmm. to be useful. He could get six or seven Couple carries and that alone could make him a wide receiver three week in and week out.
2: Yep, and you mentioned Andy Reid's creativity in the red zone here. You know, just getting him more touches right around the goal line as opposed to you know someone like Spencer Ware. John and I were talking about Spencer Ware on the on the DFS pod earlier today about how you know if he's taking snaps and handing the ball off in the wild card formation, he's not all that valuable. Tyree Kill taking some of that value from him. Another name we have to bring up who is almost universally available. That's Marquez Wilson of the Chicago Bears. Elshon Jeffries still has a couple more games to deal with on the suspension and it seems at least based on last week's sample size with matt barkley under center that uh wilson has overtaken cameron meredith and eddie royal at least in terms of targets caught eight balls on a team high 11 targets for 125 yards and a touchdown sunday against tennessee he also dropped another one i mean are you going after wilson and is he someone you consider possibly starting in week 13 I like Wilson less than Dontrell Inman and less than
1: Tyreek Hill. I think he's worth considering if you're stacking up waiver options at wide receiver and you know there's a chance based on your fab or your waiver priority that you're not going to get your first choice mm-hmm. uh, because I think he is good enough to be a contributor, at least in these next two games, while Elshon Jeffrey finishes out his four-game suspension. The matchup this week's a good one against San Francisco. Uh, so you look for a spot where Matt Barkley could be more effective efficiency-wise than he was against the Titans. This certainly has the look of a a matchup that...
2: Wilson and Barkley could do reasonably well in. Yeah, uh, one name that you brought up a couple times, and, and you seem to have maybe a little bit higher than I rank him in here, so we're just going to jump down to Dontrell Inman as someone to possibly take a look at. Only owned in 5% of Yahoo, 6.5% ESPN leagues here. Did have six catches on six targets for 119 yards and a touchdown Sunday at Houston. You mentioned that's a little bit contingent on the uh, Tyrell Williams situation. He's dealing with shoulder soreness, but uh, I mean, the coach says he expects him to be fine, in and the San Diego Union-Tribune here. So, I mean, with or without Williams, what are your thoughts on Inman? You think Inman probably checks in right behind Tyreek Hill as the top ad this week? Yeah, I think he's number two on the list, or at least we're very close to it. I think it really
1: depends on your preferences individually and your belief in the San Diego offense versus, say, like the New England offense. Malcolm Mitchell's taking on a larger role, mm-hmm. uh, much like Inman. You know Malcolm Mitchell's role depends on the health of some of the players around him. Gronk left the game early with a back injury on Sunday. Uh, Martellus Bennett's been banged up. If you get Gronk back in Week 13, those targets that have been going Mm -hmm. to Malcolm Mitchell these last two games might not be there. If Tyrell Williams is healthy, Dontrell Inman still has a bit of a higher floor. He's getting five, six targets a game pretty easily anyway. Uh, Travis Benjamin looks
2: like he's kind of banged up still even though he came back. Don't forget Antonio Gates wasn't targeted at all in Sunday's game.
1: Yeah, so there's been a few things changing in San Diego to the point where, aside from a good floor... There might even be room for more targets, even if Williams plays for Dontrell Inman, whereas some of these other receivers we're talking about, I think there's a little bit more variance week to week as far as what you can actually expect from them uh, in terms of the volume they're going to get from their quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, Inman's always been good at getting chunk yardage with a limited target volume. You up that target volume and things go great. And I like how you mentioned Mitchell as well. I think he his status, is too hard to rank this week because you have to see what uh, the Gronk situation is actually playing out. Gronk dealing with those chest and back injuries and mitchell even with chris holgan back mitchell caught five passes on seven targets for 42 yards and two scores i think the red zone factor is uh, too much to ignore there one last guy that's getting a lot of love taylor gabriel of the falcons owned in six percent of yahoo and three and a half percent espn leagues my real question for you is this dvr how productive can he really be in an offense that already has julio jones and muhammad sanu For me, Sanu is not a typical number two receiver. He's a little bit below that as far as
1: how he's utilized because Julio is such a target hog. Both of those players, though, I think are benefiting right now, Gabriel and Muhammad Sanu, by the fact that Austin Hooper is a very unproven tight end. Mm -hmm. If they still had a Tony Gonzalez type, even in his late 30s in this offense... The second and third receivers would be a lot less interesting. Five targets per game over the last three for Taylor Gabriel. Uh, five, one, and four for your reception count. So I think you're talking about a non-PPR guy, more of a desperation wide receiver three. Scored on mm-hmm. the same play twice on Sunday. But there's a little bit of a Tyreek Hill element here. It's just a slightly lower volume, even though the offense is a more explosive one. I mm-hmm. think that that's what makes Taylor Gabriel appeal, appealing you're getting a piece of an Atlanta offense that's one of the five or six best offenses in the league right now.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a case to be made for owning Taylor Gabriel. I just think, I mean, uh, this is a while back now, but I think of that Falcons-Packers game when Julio Jones was out and all the volume went to Sanu. And I I think it's just a matter of, okay, opposing teams are going to watch this film. They're going to learn or teach themselves how to defend that one play that Gabriel scored twice on, and it's going to be very sporadic. So it's got to be a pretty deep format for me to consider uh, picking him up, let alone using him there. Uh, another wide receiver with a big game that's just, we're, we're going to throw him an honorable mention category because uh, he's someone that we've talked about a lot this year. But uh, Quincy Anonwa of the Jets, I mean, is he back in play? Targeted five times, caught them all for 109 yards in his score Sunday against New England. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think Anunwa is interesting as long as Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback. It's not because Fitzpatrick is
2: good, but it's because he's
1: better than Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So there's something to uh, you know to watch out for there. Lastly, with the receivers, we always like to talk about at least one drop candidate to make room for one of these guys. Uh, it's you know if you didn't do it already, Tyler Lockett had zero catches on six targets Sunday. Maybe it's not coming after all. Do you have any hope he gets it together? <sighs> No, I, I don't have any shares in season-long
1: leagues, but I keep looking at him as like a DFS target because the price is so low. Yep,
2: it'll be minimum price, essentially. It, it
1: doesn't take him a lot to, to, do, uh, to return value because he can make a 75-yard TD catch just burning one guy and having Russell Wilson
2: find him over the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course that is going to be contingent on Russell Wilson playing a little bit better than he did on the road in Tampa Bay on Sunday. Let's jump to tight ends DVR. Last week we talked about Jared Cook. Cook was very quiet Monday night against the Eagles, just two targets, one catch for seven yards here. So, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that when the Packers are trailing the whole game as they were, you know, for the last four weeks or so, he's pretty solid. But if the Packers are improving and they can stay ahead, I don't know if there's quite enough there for Cook. Is I mean, is, do you have any shares of Cook or do you look to him at all? He's kind of a fringe tight end option, you know. Cook has disappointed
1: us so many times before. There's there's some ceiling there. And mm-hmm. I think that's what makes you, if you're looking for a waiver wire tight end to stream any given week, will draw you towards them. But I think you want to look to use them against the defenses that don't handle tight ends particularly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you look ahead, they got Houston, I believe, coming up on Sunday. And for the season... Oh, let's see. Houston, are they actually good
2: against the tight end? I've seen middle of the pack or to to the end of the pack. Really, I don't. I'm looking for the Texans here, but yeah, I mean nothing. Yeah. Uh, nothing. To, I mean, they're not top ten against I guess opposing tight ends in terms of allowing them to score points but you know yeah just kind of a middle of the pack defense they're actually pretty good against tight ends yeah they're About five points a game five. in standard form- formats. so yeah you probably can't uh you probably can't really rely on Jared Cook uh yeah in that situation I would agree I mean he, he does cause some mismatches here and there but I think uh Team saw the film on Rodgers and Cook after that big breakout week in his first game back, and they're all of a sudden ready and prepared for it now.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, you, you can throw him in there as a desperation play, but you don't want to pick him up and expect to get top 10 production mm-hmm. each and every week because there are so many options around him. As long as Nelson, Adams, and Cobb are all healthy, Cook to me is more of an 11 to 15 range tight end most weeks. If one of those three goes down, that does increase the volume for Cook enough to put him in the back part of the top 10.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. And lastly, in, as long as we're on tight ends, uh, what's your level of concern with Antonio Gates, who wasn't targeted Sunday? I mean, I, I don't didn't see anything with an injury there. I mean, just a little bit of game flow with Rivers not having to come from behind so much against the Texans? <sighs> yeah, I, I don't... I don't really understand
1: what's going on with Antonio Gates because his volume going into that game, I think, was close to like nine targets a game for the previous four weeks. So, yep.
2: Yeah, he had ten targets in Week 7, followed by three straight weeks with nine targets. Then they had a bye week, and then he was targeted zero times. So maybe something mysterious happened during that bye week. I guess we'll wait and see if he bounces back Week 13 against Tampa Bay.
1: Yeah, I mean, Hunter Henry being there, maybe Henry is kind of taking on a larger role down the stretch. I, I don't... I don't want to panic too much about it because that's a pretty steep drop, and it's pretty clear that Philip Rivers has that rapport with Gates, mm-hmm. and he's another player that doesn't need extreme volume to be productive. Like I was surprised to see that target volume when I looked mm-hmm. at it coming out of Sunday's game. I was like, "Well, what's the deal with Gates? Was he was his usage tapering off?" Well, no, it really wasn't. I, yeah, I don't know if he rolled his ankle early in that game, played fewer snaps than we expected, yeah. and we just haven't heard about it yet. Yeah, again, nothing reported there. So, But Tampa, Carolina, Oakland, Cleveland, that's a pretty good schedule for the Chargers down the stretch. I think yeah. going after Chargers in leagues where your trade deadline hasn't passed yet could make a lot of sense.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in summary, don't go ahead and, uh, and make a snap decision in drop gates by any means. I think there'll be some utility there. What about defenses, DVR? I mean, this is a tough one this week because every week we seem to pick on the Cleveland Browns. That's the easy target, but they're on a bye this week, so we can no longer target the defense playing the Browns. Looking across the over-unders, I mean, Miami at Baltimore is the lowest over-under of the week. Baltimore's probably owned in most formats here. I don't know if I necessarily see a ton of appeal in Miami, is there anybody that really jumps out in terms of uh, streaming options? Yeah, I mean, it's too bad that the Jags have the Broncos because the Broncos really are already owned. The Broncos, yep. yeah, so that's not an option. Mm. I mean, there's the there's the Bears and 49ers, which, I mean, that game could get a little bit messy. I, I'd normally like to, in a messy game like that, I'd normally like to take the home team, which is the Bears, but I, I almost like the 49ers a little bit better just because they're going against that inexperienced quarterback, if you have to.
1: Yeah, I'd rather... I'd rather
2: play the San Francisco defense of the two. Maybe you could. I mean, if the Eagles are
1: available, go Eagles. Going up against uh, an AJ Greenless Bengals offense, at least what it should be. I don't think he's officially been ruled out for this week, but I don't think he's coming back after a one-game absence.
2: I mean, the Eagles are two-point road favorites in Cincinnati, so that should tell you something, if anything. Yeah, I think they can be
1: pretty effective. I think Dalton, as we saw against Baltimore, will struggle without his best receiver. Um, it's a home game for the Bengals, so that certainly helps, but. The Eagles could be a good angle. Uh, I don't know if I buy into the Tampa defense at all. They go on the road to San Diego. That's
2: not really a good spot. No, that's not at all for them. I mean, Philip Rivers is going to get his points one way or another. I, I don't know. What, I, that just, the situation in Week 12 was was so weird with maybe it's Seattle, a West Coast team heading east or something like that. I'm just going to chalk it up to that. Yeah, I think
1: that's that's fair.
2: Uh, if the Ravens are available, I, I like mm-hmm. the Ravens against the Dolphins. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, Tannehill three-touchdown performance, I don't want to call it fluky because the Dolphins are 7-4. and four. They've been decent, and Tannehill's been playing better lately, but that doesn't mean I stop targeting him necessarily. I mean, uh, one last thing. Who did the Jets got this week? I mean, Fitzpatrick's always good. too. get the to, Colts. Uh, They're home gets the Colts oh boy yeah and that's a Monday night game so I mean yeah I guess if you're looking for a home team to target but then keep in mind that the Colts are getting Andrew Luck back so you know there's not a whole lot to like there if it was a Tolzien play if if for whatever reason Luck doesn't get cleared then the Jets probably become this top streaming option here I mean the Colts defense I can't really advise them in any situation regardless of matchup there yeah I'd agree with to find out
1: Saturday that you know Andrew Luck's not going to play or something along those lines but all signs right now point to him
2: returning as you mentioned earlier exactly well that's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire fantasy football podcast also check out Rotowire free for 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod that's rotowire.com slash pod if you like listening to our podcasts and want to, and want to check me out in a live chat on Sunday morning I'll be doing that about an hour before kickoff so just like Rotowire on Facebook to get in on the action once again I'm Jake Litarski. you can find me on- on Twitter at Ski 52 I'm Derek Van Riper at Derek Van Riper. All right, the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast will return Wednesday with Mario and John.